0: Father, we thank you that you have so given us your word. We pray, Father, that you might write your word on our heart, that we might not sin against you. We pray, Father, that you would cause us to listen as Haley reads to us. We pray for her as well that your word might speak through her as she speaks it to us. We praise and thank you that we are able to hear your word expounded to us freely in this country. And so we pray for Duncan as well as he comes to give this message this morning. And we would pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Philippians 1:27 to 2:11 Whatever happens conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ to not only believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw that I had and now hear that I still have. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father.
0: So, yes, I was, uh, I was raised on the East Coast, born in Queensland, grew up in New South Wales. The state of origin is this highlight of the year, though, over there. Uh, it's this this um, intense moment of kind of uh, rivalry between the two states. Uh, anyway, a couple of months ago, I got wind that there were a few... East Coasters living down here on the South Coast, uh, gathering together uh, down at the Victor Hotel to watch the all-important Game 2 uh, of the State of Origin. So anyway, I went along. It was a lot of fun, uh, especially since Queensland won, because that's my team. But what stood out to me was it kind of felt to us a little bit like we were a bit of a foreign outpost. Uh, In a world of marks and handballs, here was this little group of people bound together by tackle counts and knock-ons. Uh, we were like a little enclave of rugby fans in AFL heartland. Um, well, this idea of being a bit of a foreign outpost, uh, it would have resonated with the city of Philippi some 2,000 years ago, this city that, we're, uh, th- that this letter was written to that we're looking at. Uh, the city was a special one. We, if you've been here over the last couple of weeks... Perhaps you remember, uh, in Steve, in the first week, looking at Philippians saying this, it's, uh, the city was a bit of a special city in the Roman Empire. Unlike most of the rest of the empire, Philippi had this special status as being uh, as an outpost of Rome. Uh, so the citizens of Philippi were technically, legally, citizens of Rome. Uh, and that was a big deal back then. It, it gave them a whole set of rights and privileges, Um, that that others didn't have, tax breaks. They were kind of like Rome in miniature. Uh, And you can see there's a map, there should be a map up there, um, uh, where Philippi is in relation to Rome, so it's a long way away. Um, But they were this outpost of Roman privilege and culture in the far-flung Greek provinces. And their citizenship was something that they took pride in. They They were proudly Roman citizens in Greece. Well, we are reading through this ancient letter of the Bible um, written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi, the, the gathering of Jesus' people in Philippi. Uh, Paul knows this about Philippi, about its pride in being an outpost of Rome. and being. Uh, he planted this church. You can read about it in Acts 16. Um, and he does something really interesting through this letter. He sort of takes this idea of being a foreign outpost that the Philippians, in general, they would have been familiar with this idea of being this kind of foreign outpost. Um, Paul takes this idea uh, and he sort of applies it in a very interesting way to the church who's in Philippi. Uh, Philippi was a city of Roman citizens in Macedonia. But, Paul says, there's a city within the city. Right in the first verse of the letter... Uh, if, you can, if you want to flick your eye back to verse 1, right at the start, he calls the Philippian church God's holy people, the ones God has set apart for himself, who are in Christ at Philippi. Who are in Christ Jesus at Philippi. You might be at Philippi, but you're really in Christ. United to him by faith, you have a new identity that is even deeper than your Roman citizenship. Uh, Later in chapter 3, we'll look at this in a few weeks' time, Paul writes that uh, our citizenship, he writes this to the church, our citizenship is in heaven. And this idea of an alternative citizenship, being kind of part of one city within another, or an outpost, a foreign outpost in a a strange land, this idea comes into focus at this part of the letter that we're looking at today from verse 27. Verse 27. It's the first time Paul gives an instruction. So um, it's up on the screen behind me. You can see it in your Bibles. It's the first time he gives an instruction to the the people. That's always a good point. Whenever you're reading through one of Paul's letters, it's always a good point to kind of prick up your ears. The first time he, he turns from describing or giving thanks or describing what's going on to then saying some sort of instruction. It's a good kind of giveaway of where he's going, what he really wants to say. And he says this, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Uh, It doesn't come across in our church Bibles or what's on the screen, but if you've got an ESV or maybe a study Bible in front of you, uh, you'll see a footnote that when when Paul says, Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy, he literally says, Live as citizens. Worthy of the gospel. And most of the people who know about this stuff that I've read reckon that Paul is intentionally using this idea of citizenship. Uh, The people of Philippi would have wanted to live worthy of their Roman citizenship. They were the Roman citizens, the outpost of Rome in in Macedonia. Uh, But Paul says, if you've heard and believed the gospel, this great news about Jesus, then you are one of God's holy people in Christ who happen to live at Philippi, and you belong to his eternal city. And this city has its own constitution, its own framework for thinking about life. Uh, to live as a citizen worthy of this city, this, or the, worthy of the gospel, in line with flowing out of the gospel... That is kind of this big summary for Paul of what the Christian life looks like. There's not much about, there's not many situations you can think of where this wouldn't be something that you could say to yourself. I can't think of any, actually. Whatever happens, live as a citizen worthy of the gospel. Uh, last week, uh, we saw, um, in the last chunk of this letter that we read together, we saw how this, this gospel, this news about Jesus, how it had captivated Paul and had transformed his life. And he's saying here, well, the gospel is like the constitution of the church as well. It's not just for the impressive guys like the Apostle Paul. Uh, but you notice what he, he isn't saying. He isn't saying live in such a worthy way that you, you yourself are worthy to receive the gospel. Um. No, the gospel is good news for unworthy people. All Paul's saying here is, in your unworthiness, in your unworthiness, you have freely received this great news about Jesus' death and resurrection. This great news about complete forgiveness, about new life. And so whatever happens, let this good news, let it shape how you live. Live your life in a way that lines up with it. Live as a citizen worthy of the gospel. And as Paul goes on, he fills out what that looks like. Um, he wants to come to see them. He says uh, he, he does want to uh, visit the church, but he's not sure of if or when that will happen. So we, he goes on, um, live as a citizen worthy of the gospel. Then, uh, when, whether I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, Striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. This is what it looks like on the ground to live as a citizen of this new city, to live as a, a citizen worthy of the gospel. Standing firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. You, do you notice how sort of corporate or how communal our How sort of groupish Paul's language is here. It's it's a bit different to perhaps how our culture thinks about our own identity as just an an individual who's sort of closed off from everyone around me, who makes my own decisions and lives how I want. Uh, Paul sees these citizens as bound together. Uh, For Paul, there's no such thing as a churchless Christian. That would be a bizarre thought for him. Living as a citizen of heaven means standing firm together, striving together for the gospel with your brothers and sisters in Christ. This striving uh, for Paul is a key sign for him that these Christians in Philippi are living as worthy citizens of the gospel, are letting the gospel shape their life. Um, this unity together. But did you, you notice it's not just any kind of unity? There's lots of different kinds of unity. Um, I get together uh, with some dads from my kids' school every month or so, and we have a pool night at one of my mates' places. We get into all kinds of conversations. It's a great time. Um, you know, one of my mates a couple of weeks ago made this comment uh, that, you know, when our, when our conversations got a bit heated uh, about various things, he, makes, he made this comment. What he loves about pool is it just brings us all together, so we can just come and come together and have a good time? And it's, it's right, you know, we, we do have a we enjoy uh, playing pool together and 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 chewing over things. Um, but is that the kind of unity that exists in this new city that is founded by the gospel? Is is it a kind of unity that uh, is? A shared experience that we like getting together to do the same things. Is it well for some? Perhaps it's a unity in a shared history or a culture. Uh, perhaps it's other things that bring us together. But you notice, for Paul, there's something else going on here. There's a deeper, stronger unity that he's pointing out. It's a very specific unity. It's striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. It is gospel unity. Paul wants to see them standing firm in one spirit, striving together for this gospel. It's not just that they decide to just all get along. It is unity in the faith of the gospel, unity in the historic news of Jesus' death and resurrection and all that that means Uh, We're going to see later in chapter three that Paul's got no time for those who teach differently, who abandon this gospel. Living as citizens worthy of the gospel means striving together for the gospel. It is—it's fundamentally this great positive vision of the constitution of this new society that Jesus has made. What it looks like to be a citizen of this heavenly city. but Paul, as he, as he goes on, Paul knows there's a kind of negative shadow in the background. Um, this new constitution, this new identity, is, it's just so different from the constitution of Rome or Philippi, the, the identity of those who live there, that it's going to mean, uh, it's going to hit up against opposition. That's what Paul goes on to say. Uh, I, so he says, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Paul knows that there's this reality that those who are united, striving as one for the gospel, are going to be opposed. Um, I I love this. It's wonderfully simple, I think. Um, He doesn't say, when you're being opposed, fight fire with fire. You're being attacked, so attack back. What does he say? Strive together as one for the faith of the gospel. Just keep pointing people to Jesus. Keep striving for the gospel. And don't be afraid. Don't be afraid in any way. Um, uh, There's a great example this week in the news. Uh, There was a Tasmanian pastor. I don't know if you've um, picked up this news. Uh, He's had a complaint made against him To the uh, Anti Discrimination Commissioner in Tasmania. Uh, uh, This complaint uh, has been lodged against him for teaching what the Bible says about marriage. Um, uh, This guy, he was interviewed on TV uh, and he gave this, I think, stunning response. This incredibly gracious, clear, not defensive at all, but not giving up at all. This incredible response. He was relaxed, Uh, he just didn't seem to be frightened in any way. Uh, he just kept pointing to Jesus. He's saying he's not concerned with self-defence, but he is concerned in seeking the good of society, and he does want Jesus' life-giving words to be heard. So he's going to um, speak up about that. Uh, you can look it up later if you want. Uh, you can, um, I'm sure it's on YouTube. Uh, but in, Paul goes on in verse 28, this kind of non-fearful continuing to point people to Jesus, this kind of grace in the face of opposition, is like a signpost pointing it to the truth of the gospel. It's a sign to those who oppose Christ that they can't win, that they will face destruction, but for those who are in Christ, it is a sign that they will be saved, he says. Um, but then he goes on. This is uh, uh, not only that. Uh, this gospel enables them to see the opposition that they face in this totally new way. In verse 29, just you to pick up as we read through this, in some incredible way, this opposition they face is a gift from God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him. But also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Did you pick that up? It has been granted to you not only to believe in Christ, but all but also I mean how good is it to believe in Christ? You you have some sense of the gift of that, right? God is so good in enabling you to trust your life to Christ. Well, God is so good if He has granted you to suffer for Christ as well. Um, I mentioned Acts 16, which is the story of what Paul's planting his church. Uh, if you read through that, you'll get a sense of what Paul says when he says, not only uh, in verse 30, the same struggle that you saw I had. Maybe if we can just turn my volume up a bit over the rain, that would be good. Uh, this same, they saw Paul's struggle, and if you read Acts 16, you'll, you'll be able to um, see that. Uh, he faced heaps of opposition when he went to Philippi to plant this church and it's just been continuing going on for this church. Uh, and Paul's situation hasn't improved much either. He's gone from you know, persecution to persecution. He's gone from opposition to opposition. Remember, writing this letter, he's chained up. He's in chains while he's doing this. But for Paul, all of this comes under the gracious, sovereign hand of God. It's the way of the gospel... It's so often the way of the gospel that what looks like defeat, God uses to bring about victory. Paul's not encouraging them to seek out suffering in some kind of masochistic way, but but when it does come, he says, don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid in any way. Uh, Just keep striving for the gospel, knowing that God is both sovereign and good, and this is from him. There's an enemy without that Paul kind of talks about, but he says... uh, 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 But then he turns his focus, when you get into chapter 2, he he sort of shifts focus on another enemy of these citizens, of the new city, of this new city within a city. Uh, It's not as obvious as the enemy out there, but it's potentially just as devastating, if not more. There is the enemy within... And central to living as citizens of heaven, living as a citizen worthy of the gospel, is to let the gospel shape not just how we relate out there, but in here. From verse 1, chapter 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion... Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. See what Paul does here? He goes straight to the gospel. This is real gospel transformation going on that he's talking about. He doesn't give them a list of principles for conflict resolution. He doesn't give him Paul's top tips for getting on well together. Uh, For Paul, he always goes back to the gospel. The Christian life flows out of that. We live in the gospel, right? We live in the gospel, we live out of the gospel. We never move past it. Uh, it shapes the Philippians' life together. And you can, can you feel Paul's warmth and urgency in his tone back in verse 1? If you've been encouraged by being united in Christ, if you have any... And the, behind that, Paul's saying, surely you have. right? If you're a Christian, surely you've had some encouragement from being united to Christ, from the news that his death was for you and that all of your sin is placed on him and all of his righteousness is placed on you. Surely your union with Christ has given you some encouragement. And if you have been encouraged by being united with Christ, then have your thinking shaped by Christ. Be like-minded, he says. Or he goes, if you've ever had any comfort from his love. And if you're a Christian, surely you have. How can you be a Christian and not have had some comfort from the news of God's love for you poured out in the cross of Jesus? Through Jesus, you have you, not just you in a vague sense, but you, right? (laughs) Particularly if your faith is in Christ. Through Jesus, God has loved you immeasurably how can that same love not spill over into our life together? You've been given the gift of God's Spirit to enlighten your heart to his word and strengthen you for your life of repentance and faith. And not just you have been given the Spirit, but all those who call Jesus Lord. You all share in this one Spirit. So Paul says, be of one in spirit and in mind. See what he's doing here? This is... Applying the realities of the gospel to our life together. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, this desire to promote yourself, this pride in needing to be recognised or promoted before others. And if we're following Paul's kind of train of thought, right, you can see how ridiculous selfish ambition is in the light of the gospel, right? Right? It's ridiculous on one hand because it's an offence to, to the holy God, but do you see what Paul's getting at here? On the other hand, it's ridiculous because in Christ you already have it all. You already have it all. God's love has been poured out on you. You have his spirit, his tenderness, his compassion. You are already a citizen of the eternal city of the almighty God. You could be an absolute nobody for the rest of your life here content in the knowledge of what is yours in Jesus. And not just that, he goes on, you could actually not just be content, but you could in humility value others above yourself, not looking out to your own interests, but each of you also to the interests of others. And friends, you can do this not just because you know it's right, not just because it is right, It is right, Uh, but not just because you know it's right, not just because it's your duty. It is your duty. Uh, But you can keep pursuing this even when you fail. Uh, You can keep turning your eyes away from yourself and to others. The people of this new city are called to live this incredible new way, but not in their own strength. You can keep doing this because there is a Lord of this city who has gone before you. To whom you are united by faith. A Lord who wants his people to share his mindset. And that's where Paul finishes up this section, this incredible hymn about Jesus from verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. There's so much in there. (laughs) There's so much in there, but I just want to draw out a couple of things. Sometimes we can think about what Jesus did in, uh, in becoming human, and going to the cross as sort of like him taking a break from being God. So there's God in all his majesty and glory and he kind of stops being God-like at Christmas time. But you see what this says in in verse 6? Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Jesus giving... Him in giving up himself and not, cons- not grasping his equality with God. Jesus giving up himself out of love for his people, making himself nothing. It, well, that wasn't him taking a break from being God. It was the complete expression of what it means for God to be God. It is God's nature to pour himself out in love. Jesus emptying himself for his people, making himself poor so that through his poverty they might become rich, giving up his life to give them life. That is the glory and power of God in action. But it's not the end of the story. Verse 9. Therefore, Jesus being in very nature God did this for you, for his people, gave himself up, made himself nothing, Took himself to to the cross. Verse 9, not the end of the story. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The Lord of this city, within a city. The Lord over these heavenly citizens. Uh, He sets the pattern for their life together, Paul's saying. Um, But God raised him from the dead and has set a day when everyone will see the reality that Jesus is Lord. When his rule, which is present now, but when, when it will become uncontested and his kingdom will be all in all. And friends, once this final kind of piece of the puzzle is in place, once we've lifted our eyes, not just from what we do as the citizens of this heavenly city to live lives worthy of the gospel, once we've acknowledged the dangers without and within, uh, it's, but it's only once we've lifted our eyes to this Lord. Who sits over this city, uh, to this heavenly city? It's then that the rest of Paul, what Paul says, falls in place. That is why you can be unafraid, both unafraid and gracious, tomorrow, when someone at work fires that edgy question at you, or that snarky comment about being a Christian. Jesus is Lord. He is. He's risen from the dead. All people will acknowledge that one day. You don't need to be afraid. Keeping your keeping Jesus in our vision is will is what will guard not only against the opposition out there but the enemy in here too. When you get offended by someone's unthinking harsh word which you will you'll remember that you are united to Christ by faith alone by God's grace alone, not because of anything good in you, and if that other person is trusting in Jesus, that's the same for them too. When you feel that selfish ambition rise within you, or that vain conceit, that pride that makes you just that bit too prickly, just that bit too quick to take offence, you'll remember that the love of God has been poured out on you and that you lack nothing in him. You'll see your own sinful pride for what it is. When you're tempted to look at your own interests above those of your brothers and sisters in Christ, you'll remember the tenderness and compassion of Jesus for you, how he gave up his own position for you. Ultimately, it is seeing Jesus Jesus of verses 5 to 11, that Jesus, that will make sense of Paul's urging that whatever happens, live as a citizen worthy of the gospel, standing firm in one spirit and striving together for the faith of the gospel. Uh, Friends, in a moment we're going to eat the Lord's Supper together. Uh, It's a moment for us as we do that to to do exactly that, to lift our vision, to see again the reality of who Jesus is and what he has done for you. And maybe for the first time, and maybe again. Uh, It's an opportunity to do that, to lift your eyes to Jesus uh, and to consider the ways in which what he has done and who he is (laughs) flows out of your own life, not only in relation to the world out there, but to your brothers and sisters in Christ here. And God willing to leave today a little bit more fired in your own hearts to live as a citizen of this heavenly city, to live a life that is worthy of the gospel. Pray for us and then we'll take part in the Lord's Supper together. we pray? Lord, we pray that this glorious gospel of Jesus, this great news that so transformed Paul's life, we pray that it might sink deeply into each of us, uh, that it might be the thing that drives us, the thing that transforms us. Father, we pray for us, that we might hear this word, that we might live a life that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. Uh, Striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Lord, give us this kind of unafraid clarity um, when talking to people who are outside of Christ. Uh, Give us this kind of gospel-soaked tenderness and compassion and love in our relationships with each other. Keep us, Father, always with our eyes fixed on Jesus. And we pray that for your glory and the building up of your church and the saving of souls. In Jesus' name. Amen.